This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Hey, good Saturday morning to you. Welcome into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 102.5 FM, KQAM. Hey, happy Saturday to you. Welcome into another program, another weekend, trying to get your weekend up and moving for the day like we do every single Saturday morning here on KQAM. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Lots to get to. Boy, it's going to be a big show today. We have a lot of guests, a lot of people to talk to, a lot of things to touch on as it's been just a chaotic world out there. Let's help break it down for you and let's have you and give you the opportunity to have a voice on it as well at 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. It is open lines to you at least here for the first half hour of the program as we have a lot of guests coming on the program. Bottom of the hour, State Senator Renee Erickson will get our legislative update this week from her as we talk about some of the legislation going on in Topeka, some of the latest debates, the budget, all that good stuff we'll get to here and just a little bit with Renee. Also, top of the hour, Mike Cuckelman. He is the state chairman for the uh, Candace Republican Party. I don't know if you're aware or not, but next weekend is the state Republican convention, and it's happening right here in the city of Wichita. If you want to go to it, you can go to the website for the Candace Republican Party, and you can get your, I, I believe it's at the Hyatt Regency. Don't quote me on that one, but you can get your tickets. I believe it's $75 for the convention. You can go and partake. You can watch it. You can observe. If you're not a delegate, that's okay. You can still go and you can at least listen to everything. You can't vote if you're not a delegate, but you can at least go see some of the speeches, see some of the uh, different panels and things that are going on. But it's next weekend right here in the, uh, in the city of Wichita for the state Republican convention. And Mike Cuckelman, the state Republican chair, he'll be joining us in hour number two live to talk about what's coming up next week. Also, to wrap up the show at the bottom of next hour at 1030, we'll have Frank Lucas, congressman from the state of Oklahoma in district number three. So looking forward to chatting with him. Uh, it's been a really long time since we've had him on the show and uh, and talked about some of the stuff going on down in Oklahoma. Obviously, we do cover that range here with the program, so we wanted to definitely air that and uh, let people know what's going on in the state of Oklahoma when it comes to the economy, when it comes to agriculture, with the supply chain, with the Russia-Ukrainian incident. So there's a lot to get to there. So a full slate today, but I want to hear from you as well. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. Uh, the program, as always, is brought to you by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue, buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. They're opening up here in about 20 minutes until 2.30 this afternoon, also online at philscoins.com. Make sure you go and check them out. We'll talk with Phil Martinez again here in the next week or so. Uh, all right, let's see. We got some calls on. I want to get to you here in just a second to kind of tee it off for you with some of the topics. There's a lot of things that you can talk about that I want to get your thoughts on. Obviously, there's a lot of information right now coming out of Russia and the Ukraine and what's real, what's not real, what's truth, what's not truth, what's really happening. There's a really strange, weird idea where, you know, some obviously are supporting Ukraine because they're, you know, having their citizens just being bombed. Uh, now we have uh, nuclear plants that are being taken over by the Russians. We have people trying to leave in a humanitarian effort, which there was an agreement to a ceasefire over the last day or so on humanitarian reliefs to allow refugees to leave the country of Ukraine. And then according to the sun.com this morning, I've seen that Russia started bombing uh, the cities 
just as the individuals were leaving and has killed a lot more citizens. Uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine came out just a couple of days ago when he made his speech to the European Union Parliament, the EU Parliament, and he had made the comment that like nine children had died just in the last day uh, regarding some of the bombing that Russians had done as the convoy, what was it, like 40-mile convoy of tanks that were making their way to Kiev as they continued to try and defend that capital. Sad story all around. Now, there is rumor of the fact that of individuals defending Russia saying that they were taking out biolabs for the U.S. and that uh, they're doing something good, getting rid of corruption. I still question that one, although it may be true to some degree. Who knows? I still question that uh, concept of the fact that when did Vladimir Putin become the standard bearer of ending corruption? Because he's kind of the ultimate corrupt individual in just about any type of government, as he is a former KGB agent, a former Soviet, and is working to reform the Soviet Union under communism. So I, I still have a hard time understanding how there's any support in any way, shape, or form for Vladimir Putin and the Russians for what they're doing. And when I say that, I mean the Russian government with Vladimir Putin. The people don't want it. Half the government doesn't want it. And it's a sad situation all around. Then we got to took look back and bring it back to about the 30,000-foot view and look at it a little bit deeper on what's really going on there and what's it doing to us in the politics, obviously, where the Democrats and the progressives that love to take advantage of a situation like this that never let a crisis go to waste, and they're definitely trying to drive us into an insane market. Here in Wichita, what's gas prices now? $3.80? Mrs. Voice of Reason said a couple, of, uh, a couple of days ago when she was driving around that she had seen gas over four dollars now in here in wichita i don't know i gotta get gas today so hopefully it's not that much because that would make me very very angry what's gas prices now why is it so high this makes no sense and while they're saying well it's because of the russian ukrainian thing that's not obviously true because gas prices started to climb even before the russian ukrainian conflict it really started rising over the last year but now it's taken a major leap and they say it's because of russia but yet we're still buying oil from russia so how does that make any sense in any way shape or form if we're still buying oil from russia yeah we put sanctions on their banks we still are buying oil from russia so why is the gas price going up and while they say well we're not going to open up different oil rigs here in the u.s and become energy independent again Pete Buttigieg said that, Secretary of Transportation, why he's the one talking about that, I don't know. you think that would come from the Department of Energy, not the Department of Transportation. But nonetheless, he said that we don't want to open up oil producing here in the U.S. again because we don't want a permanent solution to a temporary issue, a.k.a. Ukraine is just a pawn and is a uh, unacceptable collateral damage where Russia can take it over and we don't want to become energy independent and we'll continue to fund Russia with their communist regime taking over the nations that they want to take over with no one doing a damn thing about it and that's just collateral damage because we would rather allow that to happen than actually become energy independent and stop communists from doing communist things so that's okay to him that's acceptable to him then we have Jen Psaki that said that, well, if we are going to change things because gas is so high, then we just really need to force you into alternative energy, which really, haha, here it is. We found the agenda of what they want. They are using this opportunity to jack up gas prices intentionally to force us into an inefficient, cost-ineffective, ridiculous, absurd alternative energy of trying to get everybody into electric cars by saying, you know what, it may be really, really expensive, but I'd rather go alternative energy now and do electric cars because I can't afford the gas. They're openly saying it, and she did it at a press conference a couple days ago. During that, those years where it would you know, take to bring down prices, as you're saying, we should just continue to buy Russian oil? 
Well, again, Jackie, I think you're familiar with a number of steps we've taken, a historic release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Well, we can, well, let me finish. What we can do over time, and what this is all a reminder of in the President's view, is our need to reduce our reliance on oil. The Europeans need to do that. We need to do that. If we do more to invest in clean energy, more to invest in other sources of, of energy, that's exactly what we can do to prevent this uh, from happening in the future. We welcome any Republicans from joining us in that effort. <laughs> There it is. We're not going to do anything immediately. You have to suffer with 4 to $7 gallons of gas across the nation because we're not going to do anything to relieve this. Yeah, we relieve 60 million barrels of oil internationally from the reserves. Great. Guess what? The United States produce, uh, consumes, consumes 20 million barrels of oil every single day. They release 60 million internationally. That would, if it was just in the U.S., it would relieve us for three days' worth of oil production. That's a, it would relieve us of three days of how much we actually use. We did that internationally for all the countries and think that that's, you know, some kind of big record. Oh, look at that. We released all this great oil. We're getting rid of our reserves when something actually happens where we actually need that and we can't get oil anywhere. And, oh, by the way, it doesn't do a damn thing. But that to them, it's a record amount of oil being released out of the international reserves that doesn't do anything for us. But if you really want to fix the issue, we're not going to open up oil drilling now to lower the price and actually become energy independent to not rely and buy Russian oil in the conflict. No, no, we're just going to invest in new green energy alternatives, and Republicans just need to get on board with that. So if you really want to fix the issue, stop driving your damn car and go buy an electric vehicle, apparently. That's their solution. That's exactly what they want. They are uh, using this opportunity, which, as we've talked about before, they've kind of allowed this opportunity to happen, uh, not directly, but indirectly, just allowing things to fall into place to make it easier for Russia to do what they're doing in order for them to take advantage of this opportunity. Because just like every other conflict that we've seen in the last 50 years, it's all about oil. And the Democrats right now are trying to end the oil and force us into an ineffective alternative energy because they're using the Ukrainians as a collateral damage investment into their political agenda it's sick it's pathetic it's treasonous and i think it's completely wrong oh and by the way we also have a u.s freedom convoy that's going on right now with more people joining every single day with the truckers moving from california to, to washington dc and uh, convenient right convenient timing and we have gas prices shooting up to seven dollars a gallon in some places and we have truckers that are trying to fund the gas to do a protest on vaccine mandates all across the nation going from California to D.C. And now the government wanting to shut that convoy down as well by pricing them out of what they're allowed to, what they're capable of actually handling when it comes to gas prices to do their cross-country tour. It all falls into place when you start realizing the progressive liberal agenda that despises anyone questioning their authority and questioning their agenda. And since they haven't been able to promote their agenda in any way, shape, or form over the last year, and it's been a complete failure, they have to just kind of strong-arm everybody into creating a crisis and then using that opportunity to promote their agenda when it comes to that. Three, I threw a lot out at you. Let's get your thoughts on all this and more. 316-721-8255. Line at number one. Good morning. Who's this? Hey, Andy. It's Sean. Sean, what's happening, sir? How are we doing? No, I'm doing great. In fact, I think I know where I'm going for lunch today. Yeah? Yeah, I believe it's been a couple of years. It's too warm for soup, so I think I'm going to go to Freddy's Steak Burgers. they got great burgers. Freddy's Steak Burgers. That sounds like a fantastic place. Yeah, and they got the best crinkle-cut <laughs> uh, pickles in town. Mm, there you go. Oh. <laughs> hey, you know what? That's, that's the way to start off a weekend right there. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, anyway, well, uh, I guess I'll touch on uh, Ukraine. What you got? Well, I tell you what, anything that comes out of uh, uh, Putin's uh, media that he controls is propaganda. You can't believe anything this guy says. Oh, I'm not going to invade Ukraine. We're just holding exercises. Oh, see, I'm even pulling troops back. <laughs> now, I knew, and I'm pretty sure I'm on the record uh, talking about this on your show a few weeks ago, that he was going to go in probably after the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, and I knew he was going to take the whole, he was going for the whole country. And sure enough, man, they go in there from three different directions. So he wants that country, number one. Number two, he's been lamenting the death of the uh, old Soviet Union ever since the Soviet Union died. Yeah. So he reconstituted, so there's no question about why he's uh, went into Ukraine, just like uh, he went into uh, Georgia in 2008. And he went in there and took the Crimea in 2014. Mm -hmm. And he had a puppet in there. And that guy got overthrown, and he had to flee to Russia. And when they went in his house or wherever it was he was living, a house or whatever, they discovered he'd been ripping off the national treasury. So it's got nothing to do with corruption. Yeah. And Ukraine, they're, they're, you know, just like any other country on the planet. You know, Dan Bongino's right, and we've all got our problems. So, uh, but, uh, I can tell you right now that this, uh, indiscriminate killing of, uh, unarmed civilians, especially women and children really angers me. If it wasn't for nuclear weapons and if I was in charge, we'd be making mince meat out of the Russians right now. They don't hold a candle to us on the battlefield. They know it too. Well, that's the thing. And here's, so, here's the thing. Vladimir Putin needs to be removed from office immediately, whether it's an invasion, whether it's something Vladimir Putin needs to go. Here's the thing. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to start a conflict. We don't have to get militarily involved to do it because half the people in Russia despise Vladimir Putin. He's arresting protesters by the hundreds here. He's now going after media saying, unless you actually promote our agenda, we're going to silence you. We're going to arrest you. We're going to throw you in jail. We're going to silence your media outlet, whatever it is, because they're trying to control the narrative. They've been great at narrative control for years with their Russian bots, with misinformation on social media and online. They've been really great at it. It's not working out for them. Just like how Donald Trump was able to break through the mainstream media with his own narrative, Zelensky is doing the exact same thing on social media by going on on social media by talking to leaders all over the world by by surviving three assassination attempts against him so far according to the daily mail where he survived three different assassination attempts with uh people that are actually on his side that have been uh, double agents trying to protect him and uh, guess what the the media narrative is crumbling behind putin and he doesn't know what to do he didn't expect to actually turn on the citizens there of ukraine because he thought the ukrainian people would actually be praising him with a big parade, and that's what he told his soldiers as well going into the place, thinking they'd waltz right into the capital, overthrow the government, and just be all done, and everybody would be happy hunky-dory. He totally didn't expect the fact that citizens were arming themselves, standing in front of their tanks and trying to fight them left and right, and now they've had, uh, what, nine to 10,000 confirmed Russian soldiers killed uh, based on civilians in, in the army there in Ukraine that are actually fighting against this. So, uh, you know, it didn't go as way as he planned. 
And you're right. Anything that is a a narrative of supporting or justifying Russia in doing this in any way, shape, or form is nothing more than Russia misinformation with their propaganda trying to say that he's somehow great when he is the epitome of corruption, but yet we're going to hold him up to be the one fighting corruption? That just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I think after 22 years, uh, this is a uh, uh, this uh, this big time miscalculation of his is uh, about to bring an end to his uh, reign of terror. Yeah. So we can only hope that somebody on the inside has a conscience and finds a way to uh, permanently remove this guy. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm right there with you. Yep. Sean, yeah. I hate to cut you off. We got to we got to go to a break here. We have another thing to do. But good to talk to you, my friend, and enjoy that Freddie's sake. I may have to uh, uh, swing by there and enjoy as well. I, I honestly have never had Freddie, so that may have to be something that uh, that we give a try to. We got to take a break here, Sean. Always great to and have a great weekend, my friend. And would love to hear from you. 316-721-8255. When we come back, I want to shift gears a little bit. We've been giving away some Disney on Ice tickets. I have one four pack left to give away to uh, somebody that will do today. But when we come back, we'll talk with somebody. That's involved with the Disney on Ice presentation that's coming to Interest Bank Arena next week right here in Wichita. We'll do that when we come back on Candace Talk here in the Big Talker KQAM. This is film. All right, welcome back into the program. Just yesterday, we sat down with the man himself who will be leading off the Disney on Ice presentation at Interest Bank Arena this week. Uh, Aladdin is getting ready to come here to Wichita, Kansas. Aladdin himself with the Dream Big Tour, but Freddie's on the line with us here. Freddie, how are you, my friend? Great. How are you? I am living the dream. I appreciate you joining us today. Uh, a fun presentation. I always enjoy it. You guys don't hold anything back when it comes to production of these uh, Disney on Ice presentations, do you? No, that's right. We really like to make um, make it a immersive experience. So the second you walk into the venue, uh, you really feel like you're part of these Disney stories from music, from lighting. Uh, as soon as you walk in and see the set, you're just so excited to see all your favorite Disney characters come to life. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about the process to become part of these presentations and in the tour and putting together this type of presentation. I mean, I'm sure it's, it takes some time, doesn't it? Um, it is quite a process. Um, we're figure skaters that come from all over the world, and we get casted uh, specifically for these shows, for for our, all of our great skating skills, the way we look and everything. Um, and then we get together, we have about a two to three week, um, rehearsal period where, you know, everyone has to learn choreography, learn how to act exactly like they do in the movies and stuff so that when you get to see the show, it all looks seamless and you really feel like you're in these stories, like you're just a part of it really. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. I went to the first one a couple of years ago and, you know, obviously went for the little one and she was so excited to see all the princesses and everybody. And it blew me away with the production that you guys do and, and how you guys put this on. Now talk about the dream big tour. Obviously there's a different theme, a different theme, a different storyline each time that you guys come through, but dream big, talk about the story and what can people expect for this year? Well, with dream big, we really tried to pack in as many of your favorite characters as possible. So we actually have 10 different Disney stories. Um, it ranges from like classics from um, Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella, and it goes all the way to some more modern stories that are that are newer to, to the kids like um, Frozen, uh, Miguel from Coco, and even Moana. So there's really something for everybody. Mm, I love it. Now, how long have you been ice skating? Um, I've been ice skating for most of my life since I was eight years old, really. Um, I did the competitive route until I was in my 20s, and then 
when I gave up on that, you know, I still loved skating and performing. And I had a friend that was on Disney on Ice and kind of talked to me about it. And I thought, oh, that, that could be fun, you know, traveling, um, performing for people. Maybe I'll do it for a year. And here I am 12 years later, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> 12 years later, you've been in it for a while. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, now, give us a little bit of a sneak peek for Dream Big this year with, with you being Aladdin. Uh, what is your story in, in Dream Big this year? Well, Aladdin, I get to open the show. It's the very first part of the, the 10 stories that we have. Um, and it's a really fun segment. It starts um, with the marketplace and, you know, Aladdin, he's a bit of a thief. And so, you know, I steal some food like to help other people, but then people are chasing me around. Um, so I get through that and eventually meet Princess Jasmine and then we get to do a more romantic number where I take her on a magic carpet ride with some really cool pair elements as well, um, which is really fun. You know, like, of course, we talk about princesses, but um, this is also a segment that's fun for the little boys because Aladdin, he's adventurous and and, yeah. and fun. And so um, we really like to promote that the show is, isn't just a, a princess show for little girls. You know, there's really something for everybody. We have you know, Prince Philip that's going to fight a, a fire-breathing dragon. Um, wow. Like I said earlier, Miguel from Coco, he's a little boy that loves to play music and stuff. So there's, there's something for the whole fam. There it is. That was Aladdin getting ready to come to Interest Bank Arena for Disney on Ice. It's the Dream Big Tour. And we have one more pair of tickets we'll give away. Not yet. Don't call right now, but we'll give a four-pack away. Our last one going into the performance that is set for March 10th through the 13th next week here at Interest Bank Arena in Wichita. We'll give those away in a little bit. So appreciate him coming on. When we come back, we'll take a bottom of the hour break. We'll get back to some legislative issues. Haven't talked about it in a little bit, but we'll talk about what's going on in Topeka. State Senator Renee Erickson, she'll be joining us here on the program in just a couple of minutes right here on Kansas Talk, here on the Big Talker KQAM. Stay here. Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on The Big Talker, KQAM. Good Saturday morning to you. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Moving right along. It goes my way too fast, doesn't it? So much to talk about, so many things going on, and so little time to actually cover it. And I want to hear from you at 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. All of it presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue, buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity. So, uh, and we'll talk about this with our next guest here as well. There is, uh, there's been an interview with the uh, new potential candidate to run the Kansas Department of Health and Environment. Obviously, as Dr. Lee Norman stepped aside uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, just couldn't handle the heat, man. Uh, at the same time, he was, in my opinion, not the best guy to be running the KDAT at the time. He just my personal perspective, my opinion, looking at him very much into showboating for the media and not so much into actually guiding and leading. And obviously loved, loved the mandate to just locking things down and kind of controlling everybody for the COVID-19 pandemic, which by the way, where did that go? Where did the pandemic go? Now that we have the Russia Ukrainian incident, no one's talking about COVID. The cases are still there because of Omicron, not as many people hospitalized, not as many people dying, uh, because the Omicron obviously is just like a little sniffle. But like COVID, it's still airborne. It's still around us, but it's gone. It's gone, and it happened conveniently right before the State of the Union speech that happened earlier this week as well, because by golly, we don't want uh, the 
government officials and Joe Biden to be wearing a mask up there and not having to social distance when it comes to COVID-19 because they want to look and have that perspective that everything is done, everything is great, we can get back to normal, and going into midterm election where they're losing anywhere from 10 to 15 points right now nationally, Democrats want to say that they were able to accomplish something. And therefore, just like that, these aren't the droids you're looking for. And all of the COVID-19 stuff has just completely disappeared. Or has it? On the phone with us, super happy to have her back on the program. It's been a while since we've chatted with her to get her update from Topeka and what's going on in the legislative session of 2022. It is State Senator Renee Erickson. Renee, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Andy. Always good to be with you. Oh, it's always great to chat with you. Is COVID gone or are we just poof? It's just COVID-19 just not in the air anymore. We don't have to worry about it anymore. (laughs) Well, interesting, uh, your analysis of that, Andy. We asked the um, candidate for the uh, Kansas Department of Health and Environment, Janet Janet Stanick, in our hearing this week about that, and she refused to say that the pandemic is over. Um, Very much reinforced that she will listen to what the CDC says and not necessarily, in my opinion, what is best for the state of Kansas. So some concerns there. Uh, We did pass her out without recommendation to the Senate floor. So we will see what happens on that vote. Very interesting. Well, it sounds like, I mean, just from what I've gotten a little bit from from that interview and from that Q&A, was that she's really kind of, like you said, kind of a yes woman to whatever the CDC says, as opposed to, hey, you know, that's great. We'll use that as guidance, but then we're going to tailor it to what we need here specifically for the state of Kansas, which is what we had done for out, throughout the entire COVID-19 pandemic under Lee Norman, and that didn't work what, the way we needed it to. No, Senator Mike Thompson did a good job of pressing her on some of those issues. You know, would she be for shutting down churches and schools again? And She pretty much defaulted to, well, it would be pretty much whatever the CDC says. And that gives um, a lot of us pause and concern because we know the CDC has flipped many times, depending on, in my opinion, politics. That department has been uh, weaponized politically, the CDC, in my opinion. So um, I think Kansans want to return back to life without all of the mandates. And it sounded like she would be open to going back to some mandates based on CDC guidance. And I don't know that that's where we want to be. Mm, I don't think that's where Governor Kelly wants to be either right now because she started backing off during campaign season as well because it's been so unpopular, hasn't she? Oh, absolutely. And I think people see through that it's simply because it's an election year. Um, I hope people are smart enough to recognize that and that if she were reelected, which I don't believe she will be, that we would go right back to listening to the CDC and the government overreach. Yeah, amen to that. You are on one of the special committees for those COVID-19 mandates uh, that you've been working with. Uh, Is there any other discussion right now? I know that we've pretty much gotten rid of most mandates here in the state, but uh, are you guys still working on anything else for long-term for protections, both for, uh, for individuals, for businesses, and for employees when it comes to masks or potentially vaccine mandates that may come down again? You know, great question, Andy. And just this week, um, SB 40, which dealt with a lot of the response to the reaction to COVID, um, was brought back up in Senate Judiciary. We're re-looking at that for some long-term solutions um, to solidify individual rights. And that just because there's a pandemic, we don't give up our individual rights to make decisions for our health care 
um, in, in times of a pandemic. So we are relooking at SB 40, shoring that up. There's a lot of talk about vaccine passports, and we've done a lot of work, but there's still work to be done. And rest assured, we are. The, those of us who are uh, love freedom and individual rights are fighting that battle continually to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Good. Amen to that. I know one of the bills, when you guys came into the special session back in whatever it was, October, November last year, uh, to try and put in some of these uh, protections for individuals, uh, you guys really did reinforce the uh, medical and religious exemptions for employees to where they don't have to write a you know, 40-page uh, paper explaining why they're applying for it or trying to justify it, that if they claim that, then they have to be accepted uh, from the business. Does that include nurses and doctors and practitioners right now? Because I know the medical industry is still one that's kind of lingering with that issue. And, and has that protection been working for them in the state? You know, what it, what it comes down to is who is under federal and who is under state authority. Hmm. Uh, we can say that state government agencies cannot make it mandatory. However, there are other entities that you know, walk that line between, hey, we're a federal contractor. And so that's a little bit more dicey. We are wanting to shore up. And so the religious and medical exemption piece is key because that is federal as well. And so no one should give up their constitutional freedoms and rights um, because of a situation that's occurring, you know, in our country. Not that we don't need to take it seriously and do what we can, but those rights aren't... um, subjective or dependent on anything going on, those are absolute rights and freedoms. And so we're working hard to make sure that that is very specified and there's no question about it. Good. Yeah, amen to that. I mean, yeah, it's they can put in these mandates, but it really falls apart when you start getting the exemptions and we can when we can reinforce those exemptions, like you said, that are just they're they're rights. We have the right. I religiously don't want to get this or I medically can't get this because of uh, whatever ailment that I have. It's weird that we've even come to a position in the in the world to where, you know, even though we say that, you know, you really still have to get it because it's so important that you could be giving it to somebody else. It's it, it's strange. I've never seen this before. Well, and I'll tell you, Andy, I'm working um, for a constituent right now who's being denied a, a transplant because of vaccine status. Mm. Um, a young mom, three young kids, and being denied that. And we're working on that because uh, what's next? Here's what people need to realize. You can say, well, there's valid reasons for that. What's next? Yeah. What will be the next thing? This is a very slippery slope. And to make your health care dependent on something um, that is not based on your individual right to make that decision is should should alarm everybody, in my opinion. Exactly. We're talking with State Senator Renee Erickson from right here in the state of Kansas in the Wichita area. Let's shift gears a little bit. You also on the Commerce Committee. Uh, let's talk about inflation. Let's talk about the economy for a second. Gas prices hitting over uh, near $4 a gallon here in the Wichita area now. Um, hashtag thanks Biden is what I've been posting all over social media. <laughs> but uh, what are we doing here in the state? What can, can we get some relief right now? We have seven and a half percent inflation nationwide. We have six and a half percent sales tax still on all of our groceries and goods here in the state of Kansas. We have gas prices that are skyrocketing. What can we do to relieve some of this burden on people? Well, um, elect people who believe in the free market and will stand up for um, the American economy. That's that's one. In lieu of that, I can tell you, Andy, um, you know, there's not much we can do about what's happening nationwide. But here in Kansas, on Thursday, there are many tax relief amendments put on 
a bill on the Senate floor, which will provide some property tax relief, especially to seniors and veterans, Mm. some um, income tax relief. We are trying to do what we can to alleviate that burden. The governor's going to come out and say we've got all of this extra revenue above estimates. We need to give that money back to the people it came from. And so we're trying to do what we can here at the state level and uh, hopefully at at the federal level. um, You know, we'll get some people who believe we should drill in in America and not rely on foreign energy sources. Um, We've seen that in the past, and that's what we need to get back to. But in the the short term, we're trying to pass some uh, tax relief measures here in Kansas. That is really nice. That is definitely going to help. Uh, Do you think, and I know you guys are working on bills and budgets right now and working on tax rates and working on some of this, but obviously Governor Kelly has been focused on trying to do the whole, you know, cut the sales tax on food, and she's been walking around stalking people in grocery stores because that's the way apparently to do it, uh, making that the platform for her after she stopped it for the last couple of years. But is that still in the conversation, and do you think that will happen this year? Well, Andy, let's be clear. The governor's co-opted that issue from Republicans. We've been working on that for many years. We know we have one of the highest, if not the highest, sales tax rate on food in the country. That's unacceptable. But the governor's co-opted this, again, as an election year issue. She vetoed it twice um, when Republicans put it forth, um, and now she's going to run on it. I find that ironic, but Absolutely. What we want to do, though, is make sure that we can sustain it. I know Adam Thomas, who's a chair on the of the tax committee on the House side, is over there right now. Said, you know, we maybe we'll step it in three and a half percent. But um, absolutely, we need to alleviate the burden on on food. Yeah, amen to that. I do love how she tried to steal Republican platforms when her agenda doesn't work out, which. Shocker, you know, the Republican and conservative values seem to be the more popular ideas. We got just a couple of minutes left here before we let you go, but uh, I saw in the media you're getting heat again for proposing your uh, women's sports bill again in in the legislature because the media apparently just doesn't like it when you bring up this topic. Uh, Andy, I don't understand. To me, it's common sense. This is only about fairness for girls and not taking away opportunities to have a level playing field. When it comes to sports, um, the vitriol from the other side is is just shocking to me. I know it shouldn't be, but all this is is to protect opportunities for girls. I benefited from Title IX. I was able to go to college on a scholarship. I want those same protections for my granddaughters and everybody else's children and girls here in the state of Kansas. I think it's reasonable. Eleven other states have done it. Many, many more are looking at it. We've seen the result of this. To me, it's common sense. And, um, yes, uh, there will be a hearing Monday in the Senate Education Committee. And we were one vote short from overriding the governor's veto last year. I'm very hopeful we get that done this year. Oh, that would be nice. I would love to see that one actually go through. Last question before we let you go. Speaking of education, it hasn't been in the news quite as much as what it's been in the last couple of years when it comes to funding of education curriculum. But what are you guys working on on the education level when it comes to maybe critical race theory, when it comes to education budgets? What's the discussion for that this year? Oh, great question. Thank you for that, Andy. Yeah, the, the big one that we're doing this year because of what's happened across the country and make no mistake, it's happening in the state of Kansas, is we have, um, I have brought forth a parent's bill of rights on the Senate side. There's a House version 
that basically says parents have a right to know what's going on in their schools. Parents have a right, if they disagree with something that's happening in their schools, to take that concern forward without fear of retribution or being painted as a domestic terrorist. Let's make no mistake, parents are responsible for their children, and they should have the rights that go along with that, including in our public schools. We've gotten a lot of pushback um, from that, but again, to me, It's a common sense. It should be that way. We just want to reinforce it at the state level. I love it. And again, maybe we can have enough support to be able to get some of this through. I know I'm sure that whatever you guys pass is not going to be popular from the governor's perspective, but hopefully you guys can ramp some of this through. I hope so. And um, we'll just keep working to do what's right for Kansas and and see what happens on the other side. That's what it's all about. State Senator Renee Erickson, it is always great to talk to you. I'm so glad things are going well up there uh, for you guys. Keep up this fight, and let's get you back on to do a recap here soon. Anytime, Andy. Thanks for having me. Hey, always a pleasure right there. That's, again, State Senator Renee Erickson. We love having her on the program very, very much. We'll get her back on again uh, real soon. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll get our update from the AARP like we do every single week. Also, hour number two right around the corner. Mike Cuckelman, state Republican chair. He'll talk to us about the upcoming state Republican convention right here in Wichita next weekend. And we'll get the details on that one. The scoop, if you want to partake and get some uh, involvement there, we'd love to have you out there and see you out there as well. Lots more coming up on Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Stay here. We're talking again with the AARP, whether it's the Fraud Watch Network, Retirement Calculator, getting involved in the community. Make sure to get all their information, plus their live streams, their webinars, and so much more information on their website at aarp.org slash ks for the state of Kansas. Also find them and follow them on their social media as well. Glenda back on the line with us this week. Glenda, how are you today? I am doing well. Thank you, Andy. Uh, good. It's yes, always and you. You're always doing great. It's always great to chat with you. Uh, you guys have a lot of information with the Fraud Watch Network. You always stay in tune with what's going on uh, fraudulently here in the state of Kansas and nationwide. One that's always pops up that's unfortunate is uh, some romance scams to where someone may get a phone call. Someone may get an email. Someone may even get like live video streams or something asking for money. Uh, and I've told this story many times before, working at a bank before, we've had a lot of individuals coming in wanting to send money grams or Western unions to ridiculous countries where we knew it was scams, but they were just adamant that they were absolutely in love and they were going to help the love of their life get out of a bind. But this happens all the time, doesn't it? It does. It does. And as you were saying, that what they're doing is they're working to steal your heart. Uh, so that they can get to your money. And so that's exactly what we need to be aware of. And all crimes that seek to steal money, we know that they're deceptive. But this particular one, the crimes of the heart, are really malicious. And we really find that it's uh, it's rampant and it's growing, according to the Federal Trade Commission. So uh, it's just really something that we need to be aware of, that there are criminals lurking out there to, um, to really take your money as they uh, supposedly take your heart. So... Yeah, and there are a few things that we can consider and and share with people to take a look at and be on the lookout for, Andy. Yeah, talk about some of those on ways to keep a lookout, uh, and how do they do that? I mean, is it all phone numbers? Is it emails? Is it online chatting? How do they do this? Exactly. Well, one thing that can you can be aware of if you're playing playing, for example, an online uh, online game, and uh, you're just perusing your own social media feed or looking for something, uh, perhaps looking for a partner, uh, and then up with 
pop a uh, invitation for you to connect to them. You know, while you're out there online. Uh, if you decide to um, accept the invitation and find yourself communicating with this new friend a lot, and then they suggest that you move from that mode of, of communication to another mode of, local, of uh, communication. That's one thing they can be aware of. Also, if your relationship is uh, developing very quickly and uh, you don't get to see the person, because, you know, with COVID now, we're, we're not able to really meet people as much as we had in the past. So you really need to be aware of that, right? So those are just a few of some of the things that we can uh, be aware of, and especially if they are talking about money and asking you to, um, you know, to send them money or to uh, invest in something that they're investing in. Does that make sense? I mean, all of those kinds of things that, that really can, can get someone trapped into a, um, a romance scam. Yeah, no, absolutely. That is very scary. Let's take it a step further. Once you do get sucked into it, you go to that special mode of transportation. You go to that special way they want you to do it. How do they usually request the money? Is it just the money grams and Western unions, which I know happens? Do they also do maybe uh, like giving gift card account information, credit card account information, maybe doing like a Venmo or or a, or a PayPal? I mean, how do they do this? Or is it all the above? Yes, all of all of the above, all of the above. And you know, now it's so easy to. Um transfer funds from one process or from one uh, account or whatever to another. So they take advantage of those, those, those uh, apps and those types of processes that are out there for people to, to transfer money and to put money into their accounts or either just to join them in doing some type of a joint fake um, adventure. So, yeah, all of those things are what you have to be aware of because those are definitely uh, Scams. That's unfortunate. What are some ways to prevent some of this if maybe uh, you have been sucked into one of these or if you know someone has been sucked into these? Maybe having some other oversight on the account or just uh, maybe hanging up and trying to call back in a, a number that you trust? I mean, how do you verify some of this? Number one, uh, it's easy to happen, but you can also always just change your browser search. Uh, if someone sends you a picture, you know, go to the browser and be sure that, uh, you know, see who else they might be connected with. But then also never give money online because that's always when someone asks you to do that. The other thing is that then you can just cut off that communication totally yourself. But one thing that we really want to Two things. Number one is notify that platform that you're on that is happening, but then also call the AARP Fraud Watch Network helpline because there are trained people there and empathetic specialists who can really help you. And that number is one eight seven seven nine zero eight three three six zero. So if they are willing to call that number. Even if there's just a suspicion, the least suspicious uh, thought, then I think that we, I know we definitely have people that will be able to uh, able to help them. Fantastic. I love it. we got just about a minute left here, Glenda. Talk about what else is going on with the AARP, with some of the other information, the virtual stuff you have going on, the movies for grownups. What else do you have going? Yes, we have the movies for grownups continually throughout the month of March. Some excellent opportunities out there by going to aarp.org. MFG are looking for movies for grown-ups. There, there's a great selection of movies during this month. Then there are other fun virtual events, things to do, like um, great little DIY-type workshops and, and exercise programs. So there's a lot of things out there. And then also uh, coming up next Friday, the, the second Friday and fourth Friday of the month, we always have our um, AARP Kansas concerts, and those are found on our Facebook page. So, yes, there's always a lot of fun things to do 
uh, virtually now uh, with AARP. Always AARP Kansas. AARP Kansas. Always go and check them out. AARP.org slash KS for the state of Kansas. Also online on their social media as well. Glenda, we always appreciate it. Let's do it again next week. We will. Thank you so much, Andy. All right, there it is. Hour number one all wrapped up. When we come back, right around the corner, top of the hour news. Hour two, right around the corner, Mike Cuckelman, the man himself, state Republican chair. He'll be joining us talking about the state convention next weekend. All coming up on Kansas Talk on KQAM. Stay here. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Hey, welcome back into the program. It's hour number two of Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 1025 FM, KQAM. Thanks for hanging out with us today on a Saturday morning. Boy, oh boy, we've got a lot of lot to talk about. We've covered a lot. We've got a lot more to cover, so... Welcome in 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program, I'd love to hear from you. Had a great first hour. State Senator Renee Erickson jumping on to talk about some legislative updates. We had her on. We had Disney on ice. We have one pair of tickets left, a four-pack of tickets left to give away to somebody. We'll do that this hour, so stay tuned in for that. With Disney on ice coming up next week from the 10th through the 13th. So get ready for that one. Bottom of this hour, we have Frank Lucas, the congressman from the state of Oklahoma in the 3rd District. We'll play that interview. We sat down with him just a couple days ago and looking forward to uh, seeing what he has to say on a lot of stuff. Agriculture and the supply chain issues and inflation and the economy and just the state of Oklahoma when it comes to the pandemic with COVID-19, which apparently is just gone, right? It's Oh, boom. Uh, Democrats say it's gone so Joe Biden could have a State of the Union address without masks. Uh, I know. I know craziness so welcome in all of it presented by phil's coins 9344 west central avenue buying selling and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs you can visit them they are open right now until 2 30 this afternoon also find them online at philscoins.com speaking of events coming up next week it's that time of year again can you believe it we had the conservative political action conference just what was it last weekend Two weekends ago, last weekend, I think it was last weekend, in Florida, where we had a rocking speech from President Donald Trump, along with other great individuals, and we really had two State of the Union speeches. We had Trump speak last week, and then we had Joe Biden pretend to speak uh, earlier this week. So we really got two different State of the Union addresses, two different perspectives of what's going on in the nation, and we're going, uh, as now, now that the platforms have been set, we're heating up into a major election cycle for this November with the midterms where right now Republicans nationwide are what, anywhere from like 8 to 15 points higher up on Democrats because everything they touch turns to crap. I mean, it's true. It's just true. We have 7.5% inflation right now. We have COVID that's still lingering, even though they try to ignore it now. It was the story of if you don't pay attention to this and make it the most important thing in the entire world, then you're probably just heartless and just want to kill people because you're selfish is the motto that we've had for the last two years. Now, while it's still lingering, oh, don't worry about that. We need to focus on Russia and Ukraine. All right, let's focus on Russia and the Ukraine. Why aren't we supporting the Ukraine even more than what we are right now? Well, we can't really do a whole lot. We'll slap some sanctions on Putin that he was already prepared for, give him a little slap on the wrist, while we continue to buy oil from him and think that we're actually doing something productive to stop the mad communist genocidal dictator uh, taking over a nation, which is a very strange situation to be in. So obviously a lot of things to touch on both internationally and domestically, and Republicans 
fighting to do what's right. And here in the state of Kansas, we're doing it with the state Republican convention coming up next weekend right here in the city of Wichita. And excited to have on the program. We haven't had this guy on the program in a long time, so really happy to have him back as well to talk about some of this and a heck of a lot more. He is the chairman of the Kansas GOP, Mr. Mike Kuckelman with us here. Mike, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Good morning. Yeah, it's good to talk to you. It's been so, it's been a really long time since we've chatted, but I have to say I don't think I've never felt so much energy and passion and excitement going into an election year this year. We've had almost a year now of candidates all over the nation, here in Kansas included, but candidates all over the nation that have announced to run for congressional seats or governor seats or legislative seats uh, in different states all over the place. We have energy uh, from CPAC that I think we're riding from, and I think we're in a really good position going into election season, don't you? I think we're in a great position, and, you know, we're counting on turning out the vote to win these elections. If we have Republicans show up and vote, and if they take their independent friends with them and make sure their independent friends understand why they should be re- voting for our Republican candidates, we will do really well at this next election. But the key is we we must turn out and vote. Yeah, we have to turn out the vote and we have to do the proper messaging. And and do you think the messaging has been doing good getting out, whether it's social media, whether it's talking to people on the streets, the knocking on the doors? Do you think the, the messaging is where it needs to be right now to get people to turn out to vote with the issues? Well, we know that the messaging is working in many respects and the proof is in the pudding there. If you listen to Governor Kelly over the last, what, two to three months, does she sound like a Republican or what? <laughs> and the reason for that is clear. The messaging is getting to her. She understands that that the, the what the Democrats sold last time around will not fly this time. Uh, but, you know, I'm just amazed now when I hear her, her talking. It's like, what what has changed in her? And really nothing has changed. It's just she understands what she needs to do for the election. Her ideology will revert back to its original ways right after the election. You know, uh, she she's not a convert. Uh, but the messaging is working because when you hear her speak, uh, we're all kind of scratching our heads and wondering what what's going on with her. Yeah, uh, it's funny. It's she she lost all the popular vote when it came to the COVID-19 pandemic. She's handled it horribly. I think she's been more emotional and reactionary as opposed to trying to be a leader and upfront on some of these issues. And it's coming back to bite her, which is, you're right. I mean, starting in, what, November, December, she started backing off on the vaccine mandates coming from the Biden administration. She started stalking people in the grocery stores, wanting to do the the uh, cut the tax and ax the tax on the, on the sales tax on food, which is what, as Republicans, we've talked about and tried to do for the last however many years. And as a senator, when she was a senator before being governor, she fought against it. She vetoed it at least twice as governor already. And then she sees uh, our candidate with uh, Derek Schmidt, and then she tries to steal his platform. I, I find it kind of ironic. Yeah, she's she's not going to get away with it. Of course, our messaging, we're going to keep reminding everybody. Uh, you know, you're right. It was probably about a month ago, maybe two, a little bit more than that, when she came out and said the Biden uh, mandates are not good for Kansas. And, you know, when she said that, I'm like, wow, what? What happened? Because a year, let's remember a year before that, she was wearing that T-shirt. Remember the T-shirt where she mocked our state <laughs> motto and, and and God we trust motto? She wore that sunflower T-shirt that said in Kelly, we trust. Wow. Um, yeah. That's when she was issuing mandates and, and being very draconian in her approach to COVID. Uh, then you fast forward a year later and she's, you know, there she is saying the Biden mandates aren't good for Kansas. And it's like the messaging is working. Um, she knows her policies are failed. 
Uh, the writing's on the wall. Again, that's why I keep saying we, we have to turn out the vote. If we get our voters to turn out, we, we can win this thing. Yeah. If people don't show up at the polls, it's going to make it more difficult. So we got to keep after people. We really need people to vote. It's critical that everybody votes. Everybody shares the messaging and gets their friends out to vote as well. Yeah, amen to that. We're going into a unique position, too, and, and we have other races, obviously, I want to focus on here as well in a minute. But with this governor's race, we're in a very unique position because it doesn't seem like we're going to be having a Republican primary right now, which I, as much as I love primaries and I love people kind of challenging ideas and broadening that umbrella with with, uh, with ideas right now, we seem kind of unified going into this governor's race with, with Derek Schmidt after uh, the health issues with former Governor Jeff Collier, unfortunately, which, uh, you know, I was a big fan of him as well, and I, and I love him to death, but uh, he stepped up. But we're kind of going into this one unified. I think that's going to help the party with this election, don't you? Oh, I think so. Uh, and, you know, Attorney General Schmidt, uh, and I, I predict soon to be Governor Schmidt, he has been excellent at unifying Republicans around the state. Yeah. When you watch him with different groups of Republicans, he really brings a unifying message. Uh, and that's, you know, frankly, why he's been so good in the courtroom and why he's had such good luck you know, with the appellate courts going to the U.S. Supreme Court is because he really knows how to deliver the message that's important for everyone to hear, to take into account differences of opinions, but, but to then – um, somehow he can synthesize all of that into a unifying message, and he is excellent at that. And I, I'm with you. I think it's going to make a huge difference this election cycle to have all the Republicans unified in the, in the manner they are. And of course, we can't ever uh, we can't ever fail to acknowledge that that our thoughts and prayers remain with former Governor Collier, who had to step out of the primary to take care of uh, his health issues, uh, his cancer issues. Uh, that was unfortunately had to do it that he had to step out. But the end result was we now have a single uh, person in the primary uh, that everybody's unifying behind, and easily so, really. And so with uh, with, with Derek Schmidt, uh, I think we're on the right path. And, and again, the unification that he's brought to the party in that race has been, uh, been phenomenal. I, I hope we can copy what he's doing in the governor's race in our party in many respects, because when we unify and we don't turn on one another, it's amazing what we can accomplish. Yeah, amen to that. We're talking with Mike Cuckelman, uh, state Republican chair for the state of Kansas. You can find them, kansas.gop, and find some of the information on the uh, upcoming convention, which we'll get to here in just a second. Uh, I do want to ask you about redistricting. I know it's in, in the courts right now with some of the redistricting that's going on here in the state. Uh, your thoughts on how some of the redistricting lines may be redrawn in some of those districts, especially up uh, where you're at, in some of the more populated areas where it's going to be kind of split off into some of the other rural districts. Are we concerned moving forward at the state level with some of the state legislative seats where we could lose some of the Republican majorities that we have, or do you think it's going to turn out favorable to us overall? Well, I don't know that redistricting is going to have a huge effect on elections. You know, my, my view has been people need to keep the nose grindstone, keep working, let those lines draw where they where they need to. Uh, you know, the legislature followed the statute. They followed the population trends just like they have to do. Uh, yes, they're in the courts challenging it, but, you know, the Democrats announced they were going to challenge maps before there were maps drawn. They hadn't even seen a map, and they announced that they were, they were taking, you know, they were going to challenge them in the courts. So I'm not surprised at all that they're in the courts. Uh, you know, my view is there are probably 100 maps that would be status, uh, statutorily sufficient. There are 100 maps to pick from that would meet the criteria of the statute. They would meet the criteria of population trends. And what the Democrats are really saying is, but you picked one of 100, you know, legally uh, sufficient maps. We want you to pick a, one of the other 99. And I don't think that's that's not how it works. Uh, you know, the, the, the legislature.
legislature gets to pick the map the legislature wants, provided it's legally sufficient, and right. that's what they've done here. So we need to let the courts deal with that, and hopefully uh, that that happens, you know, expeditiously. Because it, it, I understand the frustration of people when you don't know exactly where your lines are, but we have to really keep plowing forward until the courts deal with that, and let the courts have their have their time with it. Yeah, have have them do their thing. I did find it kind of a little bit surprising that they actually did try to challenge it because last time they challenged it, it actually hurt Democrats more than it helped them in the end, didn't it? Well, I mean, people make that argument for sure that it, that it that it did hurt them, and you know, part of what's happening is uh, with the population trends in Kansas. For example, the first district is growing geographically because it's declining in population, and so that always that always causes an issue when somebody has to, you know, when, uh, you haven't moved anywhere, but you wake up one day and you're in a different district than you were yesterday, and I understand the angst that causes people, but it's what happens when population you know, moves throughout the state. Um, we have parts of the state, the metropolitan areas, that seem to grow more uh, than the rural areas have, and and that's that's what happens. So the you know the the maps have to be drawn to follow the population, and so that's all the legislature can do is follow the will of the people. Uh, in this instance, when I say will of the people, I'm talking about where the population trends have moved to. Sure, absolutely. Uh, last couple of questions before we let you go. We're talking with Mike Cuckelman, the state Republican chair for the state of Kansas. Kansas.gop is the website. Go and see all the stuff that uh, the party's working on. Uh, I was happy to partake in. I know you guys traveled to each one of the congressional districts in the state to work on the state Republican platform, which I know has been a hot topic with people wanting to either add things or, you know, spice it up with some of the flavors of the day or or maybe even, uh, you know, even streamline it to more just conservative principles and bullet points. But uh, I, I loved being part of that. Conversation here in the fourth district and going to that meeting, but overall, how did it go statewide? And going into the meeting next weekend with the convention, uh, are you optimistic about how the platform may look moving forward for the party? Well, you know, we had an excellent chair of the platform committee, Kelly Arnold. It, Kelly does amazing work. Uh, he did an excellent job leading that. Uh, he went to you know all all of uh, parts of Kansas and took into account Republican views. And the hard part about drafting a platform. Um, you know, I always remind people, if you tell me I can have 50 to 75 pages, I can I can really put a lot of <laughs> meat in there and really beef it up. But remember, a platform is principles. It's not meant to be, uh, you know, written as a treatise. It's meant to be written as here are the principles. And so we really want that platform to be eight to 10 pages of strong uh, principles that can be used to guide us throughout the years and not try to account for every issue, but write principles that will guide Republicans as times change. And as an example, I would give you, when we when we worked on the platform last time, no one could have envisioned this thing called COVID, this pandemic. Yeah. We couldn't have written a platform to specifically account for that. But if you read our platform from, from the last time, there are enough principles there that it can guide you in how to go through a pandemic. So again, you know, one of the things that I want as chair, and I think Kelly Arnold has done a great job of doing that as, as platform committee chair, is deliver to us a product that is principle-orientated, principle-driven, but not a 50- to 75-page treatise. Exactly. Uh, we've got to stick to our principles. And that's what Kelly did, and taking everybody's comments and synthesizing them down into five or you know eight, whatever it's going to be, total pages, that's a big chore. That takes a lot of time. It'd be faster to write 50- to 75 pages than it is give me – you know, uh, eight to nine pages of your core principles. That's a difficult writing task, but but Kelly has delivered on it, and I think that everybody will be very happy uh, with it. 
at the convention. Well, I can't wait to see it. And you're absolutely right. I love the fact that, you know, we have, we do, we have our core pillars, our core values, and those core values, and I say this on the radio all the time, those core values of conservatism is what allows us to hold on to those values, What no matter what type of issue, whether it's an economic issue, whether it's a mandate issue, whether it's a, you know, a war issue, whether it's a social issue, that we rely on those core values to allow us to approach that issue based on those values. So we don't, I mean, you guys can release a resolution saying, hey, this is how we stand on this issue as it comes out based on what those core values actually are. And that's the way we need to run as a party. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And when you look at core values, sometimes people can have a difference of opinions on a particular topic. Sure. You know, when it comes to taxes, for example, you can rely on our core principles and say, look, I'm running because I want to do away with sales tax. Um, things like that, that people can do and rely on the core principles that have, you know, in other areas say, well, but I want to cut taxes on, on these issues over here. Um, but you can always, you, if you're guided by the principles, you will come up with the right result. Exactly. Exactly. We get j- just about a minute or so left here, but talk about the convention coming up next week. It's going to be here in Wichita. So all my listeners around this area, uh, you can go out to that, but outside of working on the platform, what else can you guys expect and what's going on with the convention next week? Well, we have a lot of exciting things to do at the convention. So we'll start Friday afternoon. Uh, there, there are several trainings uh, that are going to take place on Friday. People can go online and register to attend the convention. Uh, Friday night, uh, we'll have a, a roundtable or a, a fireside chat with uh, Attorney General Schmidt uh, just talking about the state of Kansas and issues. And that uh, will be emceed or, or coordinated with uh, Matt Schlapp. So that'll be a fascinating Friday evening. Uh, Saturday is the business part of our convention in the morning. Uh, we'll, we'll conduct our business in the morning. There are you know, district meetings. We have a state meeting. Uh, we have a KFL lunch. That'll be an important lunch because, you know, we have the value them both amendment uh, on our ballot coming up in August. Um, in the evening, we will have uh, none other than former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo will be the keynote speaker for the Keep Kansas Red dinner that evening. So we've got a lot packed into a weekend. Uh, one of the things that I've always said I want to do as chair is when people come to these conventions, I want to put some things, bookends on either side to make it interesting, fun, exciting, keep people there bring people from around the state to share their ideas. Uh, and, and so we have set up a lot of things surrounding the meeting. So we don't just show up and do our state meeting. Um, we could do that and conduct the business, but we try to build on either side of that fun and exciting things for people to do, including these trainings and social gatherings as well. So people will get a mix of it. It's at the Hyatt downtown Wichita next weekend. I can't wait. It's going to be great. I'm going to try and swing by after the program next Saturday and see all the great stuff that you guys are working on. But uh, Mike Huckleman, the state Republican chair, I appreciate the time, my friend. We went a little over, but I love talking to you. I love the energy that we're going into this. And I think this is perfect, riding up right after CPAC with all the energy that we're already feeling. And uh, it's just going to go right into our convention and right into election season. So, Mike, I appreciate the time, my friend. Keep up the fight. Let's get you on again soon here as we get closer to election time. That sounds great. Thanks. And again, everybody turn out and vote, please. And turn out and vote. There it is. Mike, I appreciate that very much. We'll take a break here. 24 minutes past the hour. Open lines to you when we come back here on Candace Talk, right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Welcome back into the program. Just a couple minutes here before the bottom of the hour. Thanks again to Mike Cuckleman coming on the program, State Republican Chair. I highly encourage you, if you're in the area, if you can make it next weekend, Friday and Saturday, go see the State Republican Convention. People always ask, what can I do? What can I do? What can we do to make changes to make sure that the Biden administration gets stopped, that we have more power of conservatism being influenced in the community? Guess what? That's how you do it. Get involved. 75 bucks, you can go to the, you can go to the event. 
See Matt Schlapp with the American Conservative Union that puts on CPAC at the national level. Originally from here in Kansas, you can see Mike Pompeo. You can see your elected officials. That's the way to do it. I'm telling you, I, I've never seen so much energy, so much energy from the Republican side going into an election that I have this time. And that's even including Donald Trump, because I think people are so upset about what happened with Donald Trump in the last time that uh, we're not going to we're going to make sure it doesn't ever happen again. All right. We got a couple seconds here. Let's do the final one before the event next week. To infinity and beyond. Let it go. Let it go. Hey, it's OK. It's OK. You're welcome. Call now. 721-8255 on KQAM. All right, there it is. 316-721-8255. We'll do caller number three right now. Caller number three and get you the final pack of tickets for the Disney on Ice event coming up next weekend, uh, March 10th through the 13th. So you can go to Disney on Ice and you can go go to the Republican convention. Then you go to Disney on Ice and get the best of both worlds and all that stuff. So we'll take caller number three right now for that final four pack. When we come back, Frank Lucas... With the uh, uh, congressman out of the state of Oklahoma, District Number Three, we'll talk with him, and uh, we'll do that right here to wrap up the show here on Candace Talk. Stay here. You're listening to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Now back to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out today. Last little bit of the program, last half hour on the home stretch. It goes by way too fast. Got Joe Peggs live with the weekend coming up right around the corner here on KQAM. By the way, holy cow, got a lot of calls when it came to the Disney on Ice giveaway. And we got our winners. So sorry if you didn't make it. Don't worry. We have a lot more giveaways we'll start doing here on Candace Talk here frequently. So stay tuned in. And a lot of people love the Disney on Ice stuff. Yeah, it's going to be great. So appreciate all the phone calls. And we will get you something else here soon. But congrats to our winner that won today for the final pack for that event. And we'll have another one coming up here very soon. All right. I want to shift gears a little bit for the last little bit of the program as we sat down with Congressman Frank Lucas, the third congressional district from the state of Oklahoma, just south of us, as uh, seeing what's going on in the state as he's been heavily involved, not only with COVID, but with agriculture, with supply trade issues and more. And this is what he had to say just a couple of days ago with us right here on Kansas Talk. Congressman, how are you, my friend? It's a pleasure to be with you as always. And yes, there's lots of stuff going on in the world. But when you represent a nice, compact 32-county congressional district that's half the landmass of the state and soon to be South Oklahoma City, too, there's lots of... Lots of things to be focused on. Yeah, there is a lot of things to be focused on. Let's start off with some of the big stuff coming out of Washington, D.C. right now. Of course, the battle with COVID-19. It's uh, Since we have been a while since we've chatted with you, obviously we've been battling this absurd uh, pandemic for the last two years. Things slowly starting to get back to normal. You guys in Oklahoma, though, you guys have really kind of done your own thing. Not a lot of mandates, not a lot of masks. And, uh, the vaccine stuff has been a hard issue. But how are things down in Oklahoma right now? I think we're making progress. We've had several variants of the disease in the last four years, like the rest of the country. With the, with the last version, we had a huge spike up, but it's coming back down. Uh, Governor Stitt and the state legislature made it quite clear that they didn't, uh, they didn't want to lock the economy or society down, and that's worked surprisingly well. Of course, you know that I've never been a mandatory anything kind of a guy. I think President Trump, with his, his efforts to create... Uh, the vaccines that are available now took a big step in the right direction. 
Again, I don't in demand that anybody be vaccinated, but it's good now that we have the ability, along with safe health practices, to have the option of being vaccinated. I've had three shots of Pfizer. I'd like to think we're beginning to burn through this. Yeah. When I was a kid, I spent a, time, a lot of time with my grandparents and my great aunts and uncles, and they used to talk about the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918. I didn't realize that it went into 1919 and 1922, and I probably uh, would have I probably now realize that instead of embellishing the issues, and sometimes as a kid you kind of doubt things, I think they probably underestimated the impact 100 years ago, which we've been through now. But bottom line is we're working our way through it. Yeah. We have sufficient people uh, who, have, who have protection either from vaccines or having had the disease or a combination of the two. I think, uh, I think, uh, I think we're making progress, and that's important because you can't keep the economy shut down. Amen to that. Oh, and that's the big thing. I mean, we've had businesses that were told they were non-essential. We had to close stores left and right all over the country. And now we're seeing it's odd. We're two years into a pandemic and all of a sudden with a new administration. Now, all of a sudden, we see supply chain issues for getting things to retail stores. It's them saying that we wouldn't have a Christmas thing, that we wouldn't have groceries in the grocery aisles, you know, at the grocery store. That all of a sudden now that happened a year and a half into the pandemic when we're almost on the way out of it. I find that very strange, Congressman. Oh, it is strange and it's ironic, but it has it is having a bite on the economy, and it's affecting uh, especially my fellow farmers and ranchers. You look at uh, the, the the way the prices of everything from petrochemicals, pesticides, herbicides, fertilizer, uh, equipment repairs, uh, just everything has exploded through the roof, and in many cases we're having a hard time getting it. Uh, I think the uh, the Biden administration should be focused on trying to restrain the growth of inflation. Instead of just spending more and more money, they should be focused on making the system more efficient, whether that's regulatory relief or encouraging the transportation system or uh, promoting the use of resources that we have in the United States. But right now, even with COVID beginning to recede, we're having a hard time getting the economy back up and going. And folks got to go back to work. We got to get the the engine of, of of economic progress in the United States going again. Amen to that. Let's talk about some of the supply chain issues and how it's affected not just agriculture but industries as a whole. We have the Freedom Convoy going on in Canada right now. We have a potential convoy of just making a statement here in the U.S. that could be happening with some truckers as well. We have ships that are still docked off of California that aren't getting unloaded. We have ag supplies that aren't getting out and the exports kind of taking a hit there. What's going to get this supply chain issue back on track to where we can be past this thing? Well, we have to listen to those people who are in the transportation industry, the truckers and a variety of other things, about how the burdens that have been placed on them have made it more difficult for them to do their jobs to take care of us, and we've got to respond to that. As far as the coastal issues, clearly we don't have enough ports. When so much of, of export-imports come through the single port of San Diego in Southern California, and you have a very archaic situation out there where they're not... Uh, working as extra hard, I think, perhaps as they could be, to move product through, that's another bottleneck. Uh, but again, the bottom line is we need to send a signal from the White House all the way to Congress that let's get the country open, let's get it going, let's get things moving, and get people back to work. Get people back to work. 
Yeah, get people back to work. Let's uh, focus on agriculture for a second. Obviously, uh, agriculture has been affected not only with the supply chain and with COVID-19 and with some of the workforce in some of the rural communities, but trade deals with China. Now with the COVID stuff, with the potential uneasiness between Russia and Ukraine, where are we agriculturally-wise? I guess it's a good news that we're not in harvest season trying to get it out right now. Uh, We're getting ready to get into planting season again for the springtime, but where are we agriculturally and are we doing okay for some of the farmers? Well, one of the major accomplishments of the Trump administration was when he played hardball with the Chinese Communist Party and made them agree to dramatically increase their purchases of U.S. agricultural products. He did things that no president before, and certainly no president since, has been willing to do. He forced their hand. Now we get reports that the Chinese basically have only purchased a little less than two-thirds of what they promised. That's a dramatic difference in what they committed to do. So we've got to lean in to the Chinese about living up to their obligations of purchasing at least $200 billion worth of U.S.-made goods. If they want to sell us their stuff, they've got to buy stuff from us. We have agricultural products. We have energy products. We have a variety of things to, to sell. If they want our markets, they need to purchase from us. So I would hope that the Biden administration would pay attention to the Trump playbook and get tough and get rough about this because we just cannot continue to have them play us where they want to sell us all their stuff and they don't ever want to buy anything from us. That's not the way trade is supposed to work. Yeah, that is very true. Do you think that's actually going to happen? Right now, we just ended in the last month or so, ended phase one of the trade deal with China. They didn't quite meet their criteria of what they had pledged to buy for phase one. I know it was kind of a stretch to make them to do that. They did buy and purchase more things than what they had usually done in the past. But are we still on a good trade deal going into phase number two with China? Do you think that they're going to try and compensate that? Or do you think that we're kind of starting with a clean slate here? I think the administration needs to build off, or the Biden administration needs to build off of what the Trump administration did and drive this process. Again, things from soybeans to corn to, to pork to beef products, uh, they have a market for our natural gas, they have a market for our oil, they purchase coal from us. We need to make sure they're buying from us and not from somebody else, because if they're buying from people they're not selling to, then that creates a trade imbalance. Again. Part of Congress's responsibility is to try and get the administration's attention so they will focus on this. Economic issues are critically important, whether you're a farmer, a rancher, you're an oily, you're on Main Street business. It's critically important. And right now, the administration seems more focused on increasing regulations and, as they like to refer to it, environmental uh, and social justice. (laughs) Those are important issues, but they don't help people keep their jobs. They don't make sure the standard of living in this country gets better. Uh, you got to refocus down at the White House. Yeah, exactly. We're talking with Congressman Frank Lucas from the great state of Oklahoma. Let's talk about the economy here again for a second, but from a different perspective with inflation. We've seen a near 7 7.5% inflation rate year over year for the month of January. It's only looking to go up. Now we have the Fed saying they're going to raise interest rates to try and battle inflation not quite sure what that does other than just raise the price of everything else that we're already trying to buy. But it's impacted agriculture. It's impacted people just trying to go to the grocery store. It's impacted just trying to buy regular things we need with a 7% inflation rate. That It's an additional tax on the poor individuals across the nation. What do we do to start getting these interest rates down? And what are the ag community specifically doing to try and counter this? 
Well, first off, we've got to get a grip on our federal spending. I would argue with you that under the Trump administration, the various COVID packages we passed were necessary to keep the economy from collapsing. We change administrations. Conditions are starting to get better. Uh, the Biden administration's first big spending bill of their administration last year was a dramatic uh, increase in spending. Now, about 9% of that approximately actually went to COVID disaster-related stuff. The other 91% was just more spending. If you pump out enough money and you don't increase the number of goods, then you're going to create inflation. And now the greater risk of that even is there's an expectation that this inflation rate will continue for coming years. Mm. Having that expectation takes a disaster and builds on it. I'm old enough. I started farming when Jimmy Carter was president in the wild inflation days at the end of the Carter administration going into the Reagan administration. And between Paul Volcker, the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board, and President Reagan, they basically squeezed the inflation out of it. They raised interest rates high enough to change expectations, and it was really painful 40 years ago. I hope the Biden folks understand that it's if they're not careful, they're going to put us through that same kind of pain again. Producers, what do you do? Uh, I, I just talk to my neighbors. I haven't purchased top dress fertilizer for uh, Linda and I's winter wheat yet. Most of my neighbors have not purchased fertilizer. I'm being told by a number of uh, my suppliers of these products that with the fickle dry winter we've had in the southern plains, that producers are hesitant, even if they have the money to buy the super expensive fertilizer, to put it down because if it doesn't rain, <laughs> there's nothing to be gained from it. So there's all manner of gyrations going on here. There's also some issues about the components in our equipment. Think about tractors and pickups, for instance. The number of computer chips, and that's a broad general phrase, I'll use that, the number of computer chips that are necessary to make a tr new tractor work or a new pickup or a new truck is really substantial, and we've had supply disruption issues there. That's why on the science committee, we're working towards an effort to try and create, encourage, help motivate to build more factories to make these kind of computer chips in the United States. Sure. In the United States. That would be huge. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what we need. I mean, if we see more innovation like that, we could be, I don't know, maybe less dependent on some of the foreign stuff coming in, whether it is from uh, Asia, whether it's from Europe. But you're right, computer chips are a huge one, and which shuts a shortage. Why wouldn't we start to build those on our own? That just makes sense. Well, part of the argument is about where to build it, and part of the argument is how much to spend. I think we'll spend what's necessary. I personally believe wherever the most appropriate place is is the place to go. I will tell you also that my friends on the Armed Services Committee are very nervous because not only were the Russians uh, looking to basically take the Ukraine over, but the Chinese in Chinese Communist Party has been rattling their sabers about Taiwan. There are certain types of computer chips where 90% of the U.S. supply comes from Taiwan. Remember, Taiwan's an island just off the coast, an independent country off the coast of mainland China. If the Chinese were to act like the Russians, and suddenly Taiwan was no longer an open society, I don't know how we'd replace all those, because it's going to take us some time to build these new chip factories to have the capacity to replace it. We've got to start now. Yeah. yeah we, start looking ahead. 
No, you're right. I mean, that's uh, we've never really had a whole lot of uh, foresight in actually preparing for things down the road. We just kind of respond, which has been really sad. We're talking with Congressman Frank Lucas from the 3rd District of the state of Oklahoma. Let's talk about that region for a second with Russia and Ukraine. What have you heard latest from Washington, D.C. on the tension there? I know that we heard for a while that troops were going away from the border and that uh, that was just a line, that we're actually seeing more troops on the border, that, that Russia doesn't want Ukraine to join NATO. They really want to bully their way through this. But let's just say an invasion actually happened what would that do to the markets what would that do to the stock market and what would that do to trade especially in agriculture because i know that ukraine is a massive producer of a lot of agricultural products i think it would recreate in the short term some really wild gyrations in both the commodity markets and in the stock and financial equity markets i believe it would stabilize it depends how much destruction that the russians brought in to the ukraine how much infrastructure was destroyed how much of an effort the Ukrainian people would take to defend themselves from their big neighbor. My impression is they don't want to go back under the yoke of, uh, of Putin. They don't want to slide back into the domination from Moscow, and they will make an effort to defend themselves. So it will lay waste, at least temporarily, to much of the grain production. Now, if you're a wheat farmer, if you're a corn farmer, if you're a bean farmer, those general upcrease, uh, increases in prices in a short period of time would help you, but what happens, how does the world, how does the Europe, how does the United States respond if, in the worst-case scenario, the Russians just reach out under some pretext and grab their neighbors? It starts to seem a little bit like 1937 or 1938. I would hope that we would make Putin and his people the outcast of the planet. Yeah. Uh, but this administration right now is a little different than past administrations. I just don't know what to expect out of President Biden. Uh, by the same token, look at China, who would like to reach out and grab Taiwan. If they see the Russians successfully grab a, an adjoining country and putting them underneath their uh, control, then you have to believe that emboldens the Chinese when it comes to places like Taiwan. Again, 1938, 1939, all over again. It's scary because, as any historian will tell you, those actions in the 30s led to the Second World War. Yeah. Now, I don't like wars. No, that would be extremely scary. What would it do on the home front here in the U.S.? I know that Russia has a lot of their hands money-wise, politically-wise, uh, political philosophy-wise, and government structure-wise in a lot of Central American countries as well that we do a lot of trade with, that we have a lot of interest in as well. Obviously not with immigration only, but with a lot of other factors as well. What would that do here on the home front, and what kind of threats or concerns should we have here on the home front if something like that escalated? If the Russians reach out and militarily grab their neighbors, and reincorporate them into into the whatever Putin wants to call his effort. Uh, I think you have to wonder, and we look the other way. I think you have to wonder what happens uh, around the world, and again, how the Chinese address their overseas investments too. Yeah. Uh, there's a mighty struggle between the totalitarian societies and open societies, and I don't care what the naysayers say. In the United States, and for that matter, Western Europe and the the democracies uh, of, of involved in all those areas, our market-oriented personal responsibility, personal rights kind of a, of a, of a democratic uh, representation of republics, are the best model. Yeah. Those dictatorships, those totalitarian societies, if, if that style of government worked, the Soviet Union, the old communist Russia, would still be there. It fell in on itself. If that system worked, the Chinese would not, Communist Party, 
would not have given up state control of the economy. They still have total political, religious, social control with an iron fist, but they've loosened up enough because they understand our our way of allocating resources, our economic system is the only one that works. So yeah. we'll see. It we'll just see. it could become a really complicated time around the whole world. That is very true. Last couple questions for you. We're talking with Congressman Frank Lucas from the 3rd District of Oklahoma. Let's bring it back down to the domestic front and talk about environmentalism for a second. I know that there's been talks about changing the waters of the U.S. rule. There's been inputs from agricultural communities across the country uh, giving their input about that. It was a mess under the Obama administration because essentially if it rained really hard in your backyard or in your your fields, it was now considered a navigable water system and that the EPA could have control over that body of water which was absolutely insane. They want to go back to something like that. What would that do for farmers and ranchers across the country? Suddenly the federal government is looking over your shoulder in everything you do in every way. And you are correct. Historically, there's been a dividing line between uh, responsibility for water in this country between the federal government and state and local and tribal government. If the body of water could float an 1857 steamboat, I'm not making up this definition, if it could float a steamboat, then it fell under federal jurisdiction. If the body of water could not float a steamboat, it was state and local regulation. Worked really, really well until the Obama people decided that states and counties and municipalities and we individuals didn't understand how to take care of our resources. By the way, I reject that idea. Hmm. So they tried to change the rules and take out, in effect, take out navigable so that the federal government control everything from the time the water falls out of the heavens until it makes it to the Mississippi, or by the way, I should word this, the Atlantic or the Pacific Ocean. We thought we had stopped this, we had fixed this, we put this to bed uh, when Donald Trump was president. Now, with the Biden administration, they're reopening the Obama can of worms, and here we go again. But it does matter. You don't want the EPA telling you what you can do in your parking lot or your backyard, let alone your field, let alone your business. Uh, This... Oh, my goodness, this this represents the most amazing power grab from Washington, D.C. And the farther away control is, the less, ah, I just, it just yeah. gets me, I can't imagine it. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah, it's absolutely horrible. At the same time, is it still on the table? I know they were talking about this uh, other 30 by 30 plan, trying to consume 30% of uh, U.S. lands to be owned by the federal government by 2030, which had a lot of farmers and ranchers up uh, up in arms as well because they could potentially have a lot of their land being given up to the federal government. And that's another concern. Is that still on the table and is that still being discussed? The so-called progressives, I would have called them liberals, my fathers would have called them socialists, are still pushing that agenda because they sincerely believe if the federal government controls it, the better decisions will be made. They don't trust people. They don't yeah. trust individuals. They don't trust uh, state and local government. They don't trust anybody. So they want to pull control of everything in. If you take control of that much of the United States of America, not only do you squeeze out people who have property rights, who paid for their property, who've inherited their property, who are using their property appropriately, and you give that control to the federal government, it just it just starts us down a path that... It just is not the direction to go. And the progressives think this is the most wonderful thing in the world, but then they're the same people who want to tell you how you can heat your home, how you can fuel your tractor, how you can fuel your automobile, how you cool yourself in the summertime. And I promise you, their way of doing all those things will be the absolutely most expensive, most awkward, impractical way imaginable. Yeah. 
There it is, Frank Lucas, congressional uh, congressman, not a congressional candidate unless he's running for re-election, which he is, but a congressman out of the 3rd District of the state of Oklahoma. Covered a lot of ground there. We appreciate his time very much, and you can see how things have evolved uh, very much so in the Russia and Ukrainian incident. That does it for us today. Wrapping up the show for the day, we have uh, back at it next Saturday from 9 to 11. Joe Pags Live with the Weekend coming up right now in just a couple of minutes. Uh, we'll also see you on Monday here on The Voice Reason for a national broadcast of that one. Until then, everybody have a great weekend. Enjoy the warmer weather here in the Wichita area. We'll see you back on the radio next weekend for Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM.